All right, everyone. Thank you again for tuning in to Honest Defense. Today, I am honored to be joined by Donald Rainwater. Donald was the 2020 Libertarian Party candidate for governor in Indiana. He set an Indiana Libertarian Party record by earning over 11% of the vote in the same year that the Libertarian Party presidential ticket earned just 1%. Uh, he recently established the Liberty is Essential Political Action Committee, whose goal is to elect government officials throughout Indiana who prioritize individual liberty and limited government. Donald, thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you, Eric, for having me. I really appreciate it. So I always like to ask people, and we were joking about this before we started recording, but I'm going to ask you about your background. I like to ask people about how they grew up and, and for you specifically, when you first got interested in politics, was it an interest from a young age or where did that really come up? Absolutely. Well, I am a lifelong Hoosier, uh, grew up on the east side of Indianapolis. My father uh, worked at the Ford plant uh, on the southeast side. He was a member of the United Auto Workers for 41 years. Uh, my mother, for the most part, was a, you know, a stay-at-home homemaker mother. Um, she worked occasionally when my brother and I got a little older, uh, but for the most part, um, we were a one-income household. Um, we went to church on Sunday. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was growing up, we went to church every time they opened the door. If uh, somebody was there to clean the windows and they opened the door to the church to clean the glass, we thought we were supposed to be there. Right. Um, and so uh, growing up on the east side of Indianapolis, uh, being involved in both um, church and having my father in the UAW, uh, I received a very broad base of what I would call uh, political education uh, from a very young age. And of course, uh, being born in the early 60s, uh, I was actually, and I was telling somebody the other day, I was born about a month and a half before Kennedy was assassinated. Oh, wow. And uh, I believe that that was one of those pivotal events in our society that, that really changed the complexion of both our society and politics in the United States, and of course, in the state of Indiana. Uh, but growing up- In, in uh, what way, when you say that the Kennedy assassination changed politics, in what way, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I think in, 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 based on my understanding and my study here again, because I wasn't alive before, uh, I think that the populace uh, the, the citizenry, especially the young citizenry, became very um, dissatisfied with the explanation that government was giving for what government was doing. You know, we, we, we saw shortly thereafter the expansion of the Vietnam War. Um, during the 70s, we saw what I would characterize as a severe economic downturn. Uh, inflation went haywire. Um, and, and I think that, that the assassination of John F. Kennedy ushered in a lot of that uh, because in, in some aspects, um, people had a lot of questions and government didn't have a lot of answers. Yeah. And so there was a lot of um, new angst 
in the citizens of the United States. Uh, and I think that there have been pivotal uh, well, that's, events, that's, yeah. you know, I, I, 2001, I was, exactly. for, 2020. For me, <laughs> yep. For me, it was the, the financial crisis. It was because I was coming of age around, you know, 2007, 2008. Right. And I saw the, the financial crisis and I saw, I forget the exact quote, but George Bush says something like, you know, when, when he was passing the bailouts, he said, I had to destroy capitalism to save capitalism. And that that's when things just the government explanation of things just wasn't making sense to me. Right. And so as I grew up, I, I, I was very aware um, of what was going on, who was in charge, what they were saying, um, what it meant to me. Uh, I graduated high school in 1981. Um, that was the uh, uh, ushering in of the Ronald Reagan presidency. Uh, I joined the military, was in the Navy for eight years during the Reagan presidency and the first couple of years of the Bush presidency. And so I had a lot of my uh, opinions and viewpoints um, formed during that era, and as a uh, as a response to things from, uh, you know, I very vividly remember Nixon resigning. I didn't understand why, you know, at the time, I was a little too young to really grasp exactly what had gone on, um, but I remember it. Um, I remember uh, the hostage crisis, and that did leave a uh, an indelible mark on my psyche as far as the world and what was going on and the fact that uh, there were people who uh, did what I would consider terrible evil things in the name of religion and uh, had not been really exposed to that before. So as I grew up, uh, what went on around me, I was, I was very aware of it. Um, and so I was always uh, very intellectually involved politically, but I wasn't physically involved politically. I always voted. Right. Um, and I would sit in my car as I drove back and forth to work or sit on my couch and, you know, curse the radio or curse the television because something was going on that I didn't agree with. Uh, but it really wasn't until 2016 when it, <clears throat> I guess, got to its boiling point. Um, and it was something as uh, almost innocuous as... Uh, them talking about raising the gas or the uh, cigarette tax here in Indiana. And somebody mentioned on the radio that they wanted to raise the cigarette tax because they wanted to uh, influence people to stop smoking and they wanted to raise money to pay for the roads. And 
I stopped and I thought, you know what? That's insulting. Because I'm intelligent enough to know that you cannot get people to stop smoking and raise money for the roads. Right. You can do one or the other, not both. And then it got, then it, then it really got uh, kind of soaked in that what they were doing was they were trying to socially engineer people into behavioral modification. And I thought, now, wait a minute. We always used to talk about them doing that in the Soviet Union. We don't do that here in the United States. And then I realized not only were they doing that, but they were a Republican supermajority bragging about doing it. And then I got mad. And I told my wife, I'm done sitting on the couch complaining about the fact that they are... Uh, disingenuous, manipulative, and just all around uh, liars. And I'm going to get involved. I'm going to run for office and I'm going to point this stuff out. And I'm going to be the guy who says, I'm not going to be corrupted by that system. I want to get in there and help change it. And uh, so in 2016, I, I knew I couldn't run as a Democrat because they like big government. Um, I couldn't run as a Republican because apparently, even though they said they're for smaller government, it's obvious that they like big government too. Yep. So I had to find a home. And as I looked around, uh, I looked into several of the, uh, what I will call uh, smaller parties. Um, and the one that I felt most closely resembled what I believed was the Libertarian Party. Uh, and so I went to a county meeting to tell them that I wanted to run for office, and it just so happened it was a county convention. And they were like, great, awesome. And so I jumped in and I ran for uh, state Senate in 2016 uh, out here in the Westfield Noblesville area against uh, state Senator Luke Kenley, which I believe you probably know of Luke. Um, I know he, the name. I'm, I'm new. I'm relatively new to Indiana, but I believe okay, he represents okay. my area. Yeah. Yes, he did. He, he, before he retired, he did. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, when he did retire, uh, Victoria Sparts uh, was appointed to fill his seat. And of course, now she's moved on to Congress. Um, but uh, one of the things we, we did a uh, um, League of Women Voters Forum. And after the forum, he made it a point to tell me that he was considered the most libertarian guy down at the General Assembly. And I looked at him and smiled and I said, well, I think that's why I'm running. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was kind of the start of it. And 
how did you end up doing in that election? Um, about standard, what a, a libertarian does uh, in a in a in an election, we we you know we got about I think four um, percent, and it was a learning experience. There, I didn't have a lot of uh, didn't have a lot of help at the time. Right. Um, I was my own campaign manager, my own treasurer. I had to dig into that now, and, and I'll tell you, I don't recommend that for everybody by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but the learning opportunity was immense and it was extremely beneficial because I had to dig into the Indiana campaign finance laws and understand the forms and when to file and what to file. And, uh, that was extremely helpful. Um, I learned we, you know, here in Indiana, we've had just started doing the early voting thing uh, at an at a extremely high rate um, in 2016. And so I started uh, going every session of early voting. I took paid time off from work and I went out and I stood and I talked to voters. And I stood there the whole time and I was there every time, you know, it's kind of like going to church when I was a kid. It was every time they had early voting, I was out there and I was passing out cards and I was telling people who I was and what I was running for and why, uh, and, uh, learned a lot. Uh, and so it's, to me, that's one of the most important things that we can do as we encourage new young people or even older people such as myself who decide, okay, it's time, I want to do something. Uh, the ability to get in and help somebody and teach them how to do what they need to do to be successful, I think is going to um, springboard us to the next level. Um, but that's how, you know, that's how I got involved. And, uh, that was to me, the, um, the impetus for why I'm still involved because I see a tremendous opportunity. Um, I don't feel like my results in, either 2020 in the gubernatorial race or the results I had in the Westfield mayor's race the year before, um, I got 40% a two-way race. Uh, and basically, uh, if we could have swung about 500 votes uh, or got a thousand more people to come out, um, we could have won and I had $6,000 to spend and I made my opponent spend 60,000 wow. to, to fend me off. Wow. Um, but here again, it's because we're learning right. and, and, and we're learning and we're growing and we're figuring out how to reach out to voters and how to make sure that not only are we telling voters uh, something that they're not hearing from the, the two old parties, but we're listening. Yeah. Because the key, in my opinion, today 
is to listen to what people are upset about and then explain to them how the libertarian philosophy can solve that problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny when you when I talk to so many libertarians, they're they're very bright people, they're very intellectually curious, and they can cite you the most obscure philosophy and economics, but so many seem disinterested or uninterested in in actually getting on the ground and spreading that message and, and talking to people about actual problems and applying that philosophy to these problems. Uh, so how much time how much time did you spend actually like reading up on on kind of libertarian literature versus just saying hey this is this is my very little uh, yeah yeah very little i i now i listen to people who talk about uh uh you know the the milton friedmans and the uh, uh, the rothbards and the, the rand and you know and and even you know i hear people talk about ron paul and but i understand what i believe are the founding documents of libertarianism the declaration of independence the constitution of the united states of america and the constitution of the state of indiana and I believe that all three of those documents were written so that I could understand them and so that you could understand them. I don't need a law degree to understand them. And when somebody with a law degree tries to tell me, no, you don't understand what that means, I want to look at them and go, shut up. Yep. But that was written for me. Yep. Those documents were written so that I could understand, me the citizen, what the limitations were on my government, not the limitations on my freedoms, the limitations on my government. And so when somebody who thinks they're uh, more intellectually um, advanced than I am tries to tell me otherwise, that's when we're gonna have a problem. Yeah. And of course, that's the majority of our government today are, you know, these political elites who believe that they're intellectually superior to the rest of us. And that's why they need to be in charge and the rest of us need to shut up and do as we're told. And that is why I believe that so many people are, are at their wits end with government at this yeah. point. And that's why I think that when I'm able and willing to say, look, this is, uh, this is just common sense. I don't need somebody with an advanced degree to explain to me what my rights are. I understand what my rights are. As a matter of fact, I understand that what the constitution actually says is is that unless an authority is specifically given to the federal government in the constitution, then they have no right or no authority. I have all the other rights and that I have rights that aren't articulated in the constitution. And so to me, it's really important that that be one of our messages as libertarians is you don't need somebody to explain it to you. 
You just need to embrace it. Right. It's called freedom. It's called liberty. It's called, I decide what is best for me, my household, my business, my place of worship, my schools, uh, how my ch where my children go to school. Those are decisions that are up to me because I'm the one that has to deal with the consequences of those decisions. Government cannot make those decisions for me because they're not going to be accountable for the consequences. And that to me is real simple, common sense to understand. And so when somebody starts in with all the hoo-ha about, well, but you don't understand how complicated government is. Oh yeah, I understand that y'all made a, took a ball of twine and made it as difficult to unravel as possible so that only you yeah. could hold the ball of twine. Yeah. And my job is to take that away from you, unravel it no matter how long it takes, and then never let you have grasp on it again. Yep. And and those are the things I think. And here again, I and I there are there are a lot of libertarians who are much more well versed in what I would call the the classical liberalism um, literature behind libertarianism they can have it sure i think the the simpler we make things the more people are gonna go hey that's what i think too i'm with right. him right and that's what i want right and i just have to tell you as as one of those people with a law degree i can tell you firsthand <laughs> i i've been around so many of those people i mean it, it's not just theoretical i've talked to these people firsthand and they really do believe that because they spent all this money on this degree, they've spent all those hours sitting in a lecture hall, that yep. they really do know what's best and that, you know, they just need the rest of the country to, to fall in line with the, the intellectual elite. Yeah. And I, that's to me, that's the fundamental problem is that there's there's a group of people who think that all you need is just to get the smartest people in a room together and they can make all of the decisions that's best for everyone. And that right. would lead to this utopia. And, and, and that is the furthest thing from the truth. Right. Because the, the intellectualism is inextricably tied to human nature. And human nature is where we learned that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I didn't need a law degree to learn that. Yep. All I needed was a television. Right. Right? Yeah. And you see it, you see it everywhere. You see it with corporate America. And and that's one of the other things that really frustrates me. If we look at government today, what we've got is corporatism. We have government uh not of the people, by the people, for the people. We've got government of the corporation, by the corporation, and for the corporation. And we have to, here again, decouple government from corporate America if we want our liberties protected properly. And I, nowhere in the, in the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution do I see anything about corporations 
having rights. Right. People have rights. And small businesses that are owned by people can inherit the rights of the person who owns the business. But corporations should not be, you know, I've never seen IBM or Amazon as an entity cast a vote in an election. They donate a lot of money to campaigns to influence, but they don't have a vote. Individuals, citizens have a vote. And so those are the types of things that we really have to figure out how to, you know, recalibrate people's thinking and understand that they make it complicated so you'll stay out of it. So you won't ask questions. So you won't hold them accountable. And they do it at every level, even at the municipal level. We have these um, these people who run for, for mayor or for town council or city council who imagine themselves feudal lords and they want and it's just sickening because what we do is we buy in we let them get away with it because we've been conditioned to believe that's the way the system's supposed to work right Right. Well, you even see it with, with just the language that we use. I, I fall into this trap of you call them leaders. And yes. I, I have to sit back and realize no, they're not really leaders. They don't. They're supposed they don't, to be servants. Right. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about your your success, because I think there are a lot of parallels with your campaign and with Ron Paul. I, I see I see so many parallels. So let's start with the West Westfield mayoral race. Yeah. And, just for a little bit of background, and you can fill in the gaps because you obviously know more about the town than I do, but Westfield's just kind of a standard suburban town. I think it was pretty rural until recently, yep. but it's it's not like, I don't think there's any inherent reason why it would be more prone to to voting for libertarian than, than any other suburb, right? Uh, other than, no, no, other than the fact that the current mayor um, had been mayor since the, he was on the town council when the town decided, he and his friends decided that they wanted to become a city because there's more money in being a city than there is in being a town, right? Right. And so him and his friends all decided that they they were going to do that. Uh, They uh, went about a campaign of convincing enough people to vote for that, that the town voted to become a city he was voted mayor. He's been mayor since 2008. He's the only mayor the city has ever had. He is, um, as Republicans are fond of saying, he is a rhino. He never met a tax he didn't like, and he didn't ever get a dollar from taxpayer money he couldn't figure out how to spend. And he loves tax increment financing as a way to uh, build his legacy on the backs of posterity. Uh, Because anybody that knows anything about tax increment financing knows that what you're really doing is running up debt that the school system is not going to be able to use 
in the future to pay for capital improvements and operating expenses as it's currently laid out in Indiana statute. And so uh, there were a lot of people in Westfield who were very fiscally conservative. Um, there's actually a group called the Fiscal Conservatives of Hamilton County who came together and said, we're tired of what's going on in Westfield. And they primaried a, uh, all, all but one of the members of the city council. Now I had filed to run against one of the city councilors in my district and when he was primaried and he lost, I pulled my paperwork to run for city council because the gentleman that beat him was a fiscal conservative right. and was really very close to how I would have been if I had sat on the city council. So I don't run just to run. Sure. I run because I want to fix something. And if you're going to fix it, then I don't have to. There's no reason for me to waste your time and my time running against you if we're both going to do the same thing. So I decided I would pull my paperwork and I would look for where I could be more effective during that period of time. Well, people from this group and other, other people around town contacted me and said, nobody would run in the primary against mayor cook and we really want to get rid of him and i said well then i'll run for mayor because the city council is going to have a really hard time changing things while he's still the mayor right and so i ran for mayor um and as i said uh, I got, uh, I believe, I want to say we had about um, 5,000 votes total. He got, uh, I got 1,991, and he got just under 3,000. So there was about a 1,000 difference. Um so we had a very good chance. Um, I actually got 91 people who went in and voted straight ticket libertarian, and I was the only libertarian on the ticket. <laughs> um, so uh, that was that was very encouraging. Um, go ahead. So I'm what sorry. You, what do you attribute that that success to? That what was it just? being out there on the, on the ground, on the street and talking to people and getting them to, to see your name, see your face and understand what it means to be a libertarian? Well, I think one of the, for one of the first things that I think it's important for us to kind of lay the groundwork for is that many people who vote, uh, vote for Republicans are libertarian minded people. Right. And so when a libertarian comes out and they articulate a plain language, common sense, 
fiscally conservative message that is, is rooted in small government and the preservation of individual rights, people go, he's more Republican than that guy is. And I heard that constantly. <laughs> I Not only during the, the mayor's race, but of course, during the governor's race. Right. There were tons of people who said, well, you're more conservative than the governor is. You're more Republican than the governor is. And then you have the opportunity to tell them that's not a Republican platform. Right. That's a libertarian platform. That used to be a Republican platform. But what we see, and this is something that when you start to point it out, people start looking at it and they go, oh, I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me. But now you're right. The further left the Democrats go, the further left the Republicans go to fill in behind them. Yep. Because what they see, what they think is, oh, the Democrats are leaving people behind who are more moderate. We, we can pick them up. But what they don't realize is, is they're leaving the majority of people behind because the majority of Americans still believe in freedom and they believe in individual rights and they want small government. And when they go out and bust their butt for a paycheck, they want that paycheck to go in their pocket or their bank account. And they don't like it that the government takes money out of it first. Yep. And so the, the Republicans keep going to the left to fill in where the Democrats were. And, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, I've had people reach out to me, you know, you'd win if you ran as a Republican. And I said, let me explain something to you. When you say that, everybody hears it, including all the Democrats who are tired of losing, who started running as Republicans. And that's why the Republican Party has gone so far left because it's full of Democrats. Did you see, a, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Did you see a lot of pushback from the Republicans when they saw that you were starting to, to have some success? Did they try to do something to-, to From the party? From, oh, from the, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, the, the, the people who are actually the Indiana GOP. Right. Oh, they love to make up all kinds, all manner of, of um, I'll just say it. Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all there is to it. Um, you know, that, that, Oh, all libertarians, this and all liberty, you know, all libertarians are just potheads and, you know, they're, they're all pro-choice and they're all this and they're all that. It's like, really? That that's like saying, you know, all Republicans are Roy Moore. Right. Are they? I don't think so, but they sure want to make it sound like we're all the same. Right. And, and that's not true. And so, yeah, they, they love to, they, you know, make up things and say things. And the difference of course, is they do that quietly. Uh, you know, they send out their emails or they have their little private get together fundraisers and they make comments about libertarians while the libertarian guy 
has the backbone to go out here on the street, knock on people's doors. Hi, my name's Don Rainwater. I'm running for mayor of Westfield. And if you'd like your tax dollars to quit being funneled to friends of the mayor instead of used for what government is supposed to use your tax dollars for, vote for me. Yeah. See, that's it. People aren't used to hearing that. Wait a minute. Did you did you really accuse the mayor of? Yeah, because I, is that not what's going on? Do you not see it? Let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, and here again, he refused to debate me. Of course. Yeah, he was he scared only has to, to lose from that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He was scared to death. Uh, as a matter of fact, after the election was over, I went to a city council meeting and he walked up behind me, put his hand on my shoulder and I shook his hand and he said, you know, I expected you to call me uh, and congratulate me on the evening of the election. And I said, well, I expected you to debate me, but you wouldn't do it. <laughs> That's great. That's and the he only walked response. off. Yeah, right. How, what do you say to that? Yeah, That's you, funny. you, what do you, uh, <laughs> right. uh, you snubbed me first buddy <laughs> so let's let's talk about the governor's race when did that become uh, the the idea for you to, to get involved? oh well you know here again I, I think it's extremely important that we as libertarians uh, start reaching out as the party of um uh, the disenfranchised, right? We need to be the party of, you don't feel like you're represented in government, neither do we. That's what we are. We are people who believe that the government, the, the people we elect are supposed to be servants who represent us. That's not happening anymore. So if you're tired of the establishment, political, elite, you know, whatever label you want to put on it, if you're tired of the status quo, you need to look at us because we're tired of the status quo too. And we want small government and we want our rights protected. And we want to decide for ourselves where our children go to school and what that education looks like. And uh, we want to be able to walk around and exercise our second amendment rights without being told uh, that if somebody tells the government uh, that we're a little sideways, uh, that they can come and take our guns without any due process. And, you know, we just need to get out and tell people. And so as I looked at uh, the gubernatorial race, I saw, I, I didn't see anybody stepping up in our party who really wanted to um, take on what was the um, insurmountable task of running against uh, Governor Holcomb when everything looked like, uh, you know, the Democrats weren't really all that invested. And so nobody really was... And I was like, we have to have somebody who is going to go out there and, and sound that message. Uh, and as you can tell, I don't shy away from talking. Uh, and, and I really don't shy away from saying what needs to be said. Um, 
and so I decided that, it, you know, it, it, it all goes back to the, if, if not now, when, and if not me, who? And so I decided it was time to, to step up and do that. And did you find, was, was it a little easier to organize that campaign than it had been for your previous campaigns? What kind of support did you get from? Um, you know, in, in the beginning, uh, it was very, um, and this is very interesting because the, the week after our convention was when Governor Holcomb initiated the initial lockdown order. So our convention was the weekend of March 6th, 7th, and 8th. And of course, his initial emergency declaration was on March 13th. And so that immediately uh, threw a monkey wrench in a lot of things. And so it wasn't really until he came out with the initial mask mandate, um, I was getting a lot of interest and there were people I had, uh, I, I like to tell the story that I had a list of 50 people around the state who wanted yard signs. And I was trying to figure out how am I going to get 50 yard signs out to people, you know, from Gary to Jeffersonville, from Evansville to Angola. I mean, you know, all over the state, right? you know, and how am I going to do this? Well, he comes out with the mask mandate with the criminal penalty attached to it and the fine. And in 36 hours, I went from 50 yard sign requests to over 800. Wow. And I was like, okay. Found your message. Yeah. I'm going to need some help. Yeah. Uh, and, and here again, people were you know, because of the lockdowns and, and the business closures and him shutting down churches on Easter, uh, there were people who were paying attention, but that really kickstarted everything. Yeah. I mean, that was the point at which everybody went, we're done with him. And one of the things that I believe is very important is that when voters are sick of the status quo, when somebody does something that is so unthinkable that voters start turning away from them and looking for something, we as libertarians need to be ready. You know, it's, it's, it's almost the old, um, if you're sitting on the end of the bench, and the coach calls your name, you better be ready to go in the game. And if somebody passes you the ball, you better be ready to shoot. Yep. And that was the kind of scenario that we found ourselves in. And so we started um, building out a much more robust campaign uh, and campaign team because people were looking for something and we knew we needed to be ready to catch the ball and shoot. Uh, and then of course, uh, there was a poll that came out, uh, that said that, uh, we were at 24%, uh, 
which then opened the floodgates for people to start sending us money, which meant that not only did we have the interest, but we had the ability to then respond to that interest by getting more name recognition out. Um, and, and it really just kind of here again, because we were ready when it was time to get off the bench and actually get into the game and, and ready to take the ball and shoot it when it was time to shoot. Um, so you can tell I'm a Hoosier. I talk basketball. <laughs> um, but this is, I mean, that's when I fell in love with your campaign because, and this is why I was so frustrated with, with the national libertarian party campaign, because this was such a moment that people were, were so frustrated with the government that they were seeking an answer the same way I was kind of seeking an answer during the financial crisis. People were seeking an answer to what was going on now. And there were, there was such opposition to these lockdowns. And then later it was the, the riots in the summer where people were burning down private property. And, and it was such a, such a moment for, it was a, a terrible moment for the country, but a great moment for libertarians to be able to, to say, Hey, look, we have an answer to the, to these things. And I didn't see any of that from the national party, but I was seeing that from your campaign. And so did you, did you have any contact when, when those polls were coming out, I was showing you with 24%. Mm -hmm. There were a few other polls that, that showed you with a high amount of, of support. Did the, did the national libertarian party ever get in touch with you to try to say, Hey, what are you doing right that we could be doing? Or, or can we just, can we help you? Well, they did reach out and they did help. Okay. Um, but, but I, and here again, um, all opinions expressed by this individual are this individual's opinions. Of course. They are not the opinions of the, uh, you know, the Libertarian Party of Indiana or even the members of my campaigns. This is just me talking. Sure. Uh, and I think it's important because that way, if anybody gets pissed off at what I say, they can be pissed off at me and not the party. I don't, I don't want to get you in trouble, and but it's, it's because no, I, I, no, I want to see the LP do well. I think this is important. Well. I yeah. think this is important because, you know, this is something that I have started. We just finished working down in Vernon, Indiana, with three candidates down there for the, the town elections in Vernon this past weekend. And one of the, this is one of the things I told them as well. You know, you have to you have to go out and you have to listen to what matters to the voters. When we, every campaign, every party, whether it be the national party, a state party, a county affiliate, it, you have to decide what is your purpose? What is your goal? And my goal is to win an election so that I can go in and try to affect positive change. Now I tell people, and I've started making this very clear, I do what I do today, not to make things better. I do what I do right now to keep things from getting any worse, right? If you have, if your basement is flooding, the first thing you need to do is figure out how to shut off the water. Because if you're trying to, 
trying to get the water out of the basement, but the water's still running in the basement, you're not getting anywhere. So the first thing you have to do is you've got to shut off the water. You got to make sure things don't get worse. Then you can start making things better. And it's the same with government. We have to first go out and find out what matters to the voters. You cannot stand on the mountaintop and, and declare libertarianism and expect everybody to come and sit down on the mountain and listen. What you have to do is you've got to walk through the fields and you've got to walk up to people and go, what is the one thing that you would change about Indiana government if you could, or uh, Indianapolis government, or the federal government, whatever you're running for, what is the one thing, one thing that you could change? What would it be? And then shut your mouth and let them talk to you. Let them tell you what's, you may not agree with them, but you need to hear what they're thinking. Because then you can look at them and say, you know what, I agree with you 100%. Or I understand your point of view. And you know what? Together, we can work on that. But first, I need your vote. Right. But we don't do that. We stand back as a party. And we declare our platform. And we expect the voters to come to us. And when they don't, well, of course they don't. Because the other two parties are pandering to them. And to get past the pandering, what we have to do is we have to find out what is that one thing? And then be able to provide a, a common sense libertarian answer for that one thing yeah and then they know we've listened to them now they're ready to listen to us yeah and i, and, I think oh go ahead please finish. no go ahead i was gonna say i think the debate really exemplified that that it felt like the other guys on stage were being politicians and you were the one with the message that actually resonated with people did, did you get a lot of support after that that debate oh yes absolutely i'm still getting people coming yeah. up to me it was obvious. Oh, was during the debate, yeah. you did this and you said that. Yeah. You had Holcomb all upset. Yeah. You know, Woody Myers was laughing the whole time <laughs> yeah. because, and yeah, because people could tell. It was obvious. Know, yeah. And here again, not only did I have a different message that resonated with people, and, and this is even more important. I think people know that when I say something, I believe it. Right. I'm not just quoting something that some campaign manager told me to say. I'm not rehearsed. My campaign manager, Sam Goldstein, used to introduce me by telling people at events, I've never heard him give the same speech twice because I never wrote a speech. Yeah. I would talk to people before I would get up to talk and I would know what they were thinking because I would ask them questions yep. and then I would shut up and listen. Yep. So then when I got up to speak, I just talked about what mattered to them. Yeah. Well, and that's, I, I mean, you can, whatever, whatever you have to say about Trump's policies, I think 
that's what really resonated with so many people when it came to Trump was that he went up on on that stage and he just he riffed for better or for worse. He was just talking about what was on his mind and what people cared about. And people were I, I talked to people who really didn't even like his policies, but they were so fed up with just politicians giving their their canned speeches and mm -hmm. giving their platitudes and not talking about what actually was going on in the country that people threw their support behind Trump just because he was the only one even trying to, to reach out to people. Well, and because he, I believe as, as a marketer, right. He understands that what you have to do is strike that nerve. Yep. You need to know what it is that people are pissed about. Yeah. And talk about it. Yeah. And and let's be honest. If we really believe that government is doing the wrong thing and that government's focus is completely and utterly um, misguided and that big government is not the way that things should be and that our individual rights need to be protected. There's a lot to be pissed about today. Yeah. Yeah. And if we don't seem like we're pissed, why would anybody who's pissed want to vote for us? Exactly. Now you don't want to walk around like all I am is pissed. It's got to be, I'm fed up with this just like you are. And here's how we can change it. Yeah. And, and that's what I think we have to focus on. And you've talked a lot about reaching out to Republicans, which in Indiana, it's a largely Republican state. But did you find your message resonating with Democrats? Do you Absolutely. Think the I had. And, and here again, you know, different. Different issues for different people. Right. Um, Democrats are. Are. Still very concerned about um, government closures, you know, government mandates. Uh, a lot of Democrats don't like that. Uh, they they're they're not they're not down for that either. A lot of Democrats uh, want to see us uh, legalize and decriminalize cannabis. A lot of them, you know, want. Uh, all of these folks who have been incarcerated for um, what I refer to as, you know, nonviolent crime, which it shouldn't be a crime. Here again, how in the world can you get arrested for walking around with a plant? But we have laws that say those people go to jail. And the reality is, is that for whatever reason, there's a dish disproportionate number of minorities in jail for that uh, and that's an issue we have criminal justice reform that needs to be addressed democrats are all ears when it comes to that um i tell people all the time i have no problem with labor unions as long as they're voluntary and as long as the government isn't uh, creating legislation that requires business owners to have 
to deal with the labor union if they don't want to. The free market should decide that. But if a group of people, and, and here again, if a, a business owner chooses to have a closed shop, that's his choice. That's his negotiation with that group of employees. If he wants to have an open shop, that's his choice. If the union doesn't like it, they need to negotiate in good faith and in a non-aggressive manner. Here again, as a libertarian, I believe in the non-aggression principle. And if you can argue without hurting somebody or their property, have at it. Yeah. But, but the, and these are all things that when you start talking about here again, practical common sense application of things that the Democrats or the Republicans use as carrots, then the, the voter goes, Hey, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I, and, and here again, if you look at the numbers, the, the final vote totals, you'll see some things that are very interesting in those numbers. Uh, I could not have pulled all my 344,000 votes from just libertarians or just independent voters or just Republicans because while Holcomb did pull some Biden voters, so did I. Hmm. And so there's, you know, here again, I think that, that what is happening is that there are a lot of people here in Indiana who are saying, I'm just tired of the BS. Yeah. You know, neither one of these people, neither one of these these groups, organizations, the, the Republicrats or the Demopublicans, neither one are telling me the truth. They're not doing anything to benefit me. And they don't even listen to me unless I donate thousands of dollars to their campaigns. Right. And I think that they, I think that people are starting to wake up and go, I've had enough of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're seeing that too. So let's talk about what you're working on now. Let's talk about Liberty is essential. Where, where did you get the idea to, to start that and what are you doing there? Well, the, I have several people that I consider to be, um, mentors uh, within the party and before the election was even over we started talking about uh, in the event that we don't win how do we continue the work that needs to continue um, because the reality is, is whether the election is over or not people still need to work toward more individual rights being protected by government because it's and it's always hard to say right because government doesn't give us our rights they can take them away but they're not supposed to because those are unalienable rights they're um, endowed upon us by our creator and therefore, 
We own them. All government can do is steal them. So that work to get back what government has stolen from us and to ensure that government doesn't steal it in the future and to continue to, to promote the idea of returning Indiana to the constitutionally limited government upon which it was founded, that work goes on. And you cannot um, go about your business until the next election cycle and pick up the baton and think that you're still in the race. It just doesn't work that way. You have to continue to run the race, whether there's fans in the stands or not. And so once the election is over, you've still got to be working. And that's what liberty is essential. That's what the political action committee is designed for, is so that I can continue that work, uh, whether it be um, having conversations with legislators about uh, legislation that we want or that uh, legislation that is being introduced that we don't want, um, whether it be here again, supporting candidates down in uh, Vernon, Indiana, um, two years ago, that, that's an interesting election because Vernon was chartered prior to Indiana becoming a state. So their elections are every two years. They have a mayor in a town, which is not normal. Normally you have to be a city to have a mayor, uh, but they're a town with a mayor. The election is every two years for the town council and the town marshal and the town mayor and the clerk treasurer. And two years ago, they got 27 voters that was their turnout on monday march 1st uh, which was two days ago um they got 84 voters now they've got a hundred and 159 i think it is registered down there okay but they got a turnout of a of 84 and i believe that a lot of the reason for that is because liberty is essential did a mailer to every registered voter at the beginning of last week to let them know that there was an election on March 1st and that there were liberty-minded candidates. We, I called them Team Liberty, and it was the person running for mayor, somebody running for town council, and somebody running for town marshal. And we gave them a little information. and reminded them and encouraged them to come out and vote. And then on Sunday, February 28th, uh, we went down there and we canvassed with wow. those candidates. Um, and so we spent money and we spent time to uh, get out the vote. And uh, the mayoral candidate, the, the libertarian candidate for mayor, um, Kayla Coleman is her name. She received more votes. I think she got 32 votes, which is more votes 
than the entire vote total from the the election two years ago right so the folks down there were ready for change now the incumbent um we made them nervous because they went out they had people going out and picking people up at their home and bringing them up to vote uh they got the elderly vote out yeah um and here again um our candidates younger people in town and they had the younger people vote yeah but uh they weren't able to overcome the incumbency but it was a huge impact on a town of 300 people when you go from 27 votes to 84 and when you're able to take candidates and have them receive more votes than what the entire vote total was two years ago. And so that's what Liberty is Essential is designed to do. What I want to be able to do is build a political organization that can go out and support candidates at the local level uh, and eventually, you know, at, at uh, uh, the state level as well, but local, county, state level and focus on uh, having a positive impact here in the state of Indiana. Uh, people ask me all the time, are you going to run for Senate? Will you run for Congress? Are you going to run for president? And of course, no, <laughs> I, I have no passion for any of that. And, and more importantly, and I support people who want to do that. But I really honestly believe in one of the things that I, I discussed during my campaign. So I believe the Constitution is a fence around the federal government. And that fence is made out of 50 panels, 50 states. And what has happened is those panels have all fallen down on the ground. So the government can just dump all over that and get all outside of that and do whatever they want because those panels aren't standing strong, right. keeping the federal government in its limits. So we got to stand those panels back and we got to stand the states back up. I can only work on this one, but I am going to do everything I can to get Indiana to stand up and, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, the, the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, the governor of the state of Indiana should grab the Ninth Amendment with one hand, the Tenth Amendment with the other, and tell the federal government to step back. Yep. Stay in your lane, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know, those, that's all there is to it. Yeah. And th those amendments are, you know, you go back to, to the, the people with the law degrees and they'll tell you, well, the Ninth and Tenth Amendment don't mean anything because the Supreme Court has ruled that they don't mean anything. And you think, well... If the other amendments mean something, then those should mean something too. And yeah. I think it is it's the governors that have to stand up and say, hey, this no one's erased or amended the constitution to get rid of the ninth and tenth amendments. So we're going to use them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and the the concept that the Supreme Court said so, so it must be true. Sorry. 
I don't think the Constitution gives the Supreme Court the authority to interpret the Ninth and Tenth Amendments as being obsolete or invalid. So the question has to be, where do you find that the Constitution gives the Supreme Court the authority to say the Constitution's not valid? And here again, I don't have a law degree, so they can't argue with me because all I'm doing is stating common sense. Right, right. Well, in so-and-so versus such-and-such, such, I don't care. Don't care. Take that and file it somewhere. <laughs> and I, I think you're right that we need to focus on the younger generation, too. So many people want to write off the younger generation, but those are the people who I think are going to be most open to any kind of new ideas. And so they, those, you know, they can be filled with, with socialism and with Marxism, through colleges, or they can be filled with these ideas of liberty. And I think you do have to start talking to younger people and, and get them interested and involved in this stuff. Absolutely. And I think many of them are. I think many of them are searching for something. And, and one of the things that I think is really um, important is that you know, we have people like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who reach out to people of her generation and she says things that may be fundamentally wrong, but she knows how to say them in the right exactly. way. Right, right. And so these people go, hey, that makes a lot of sense. So what we have to do is we have to say the right thing in the right way so that they go oh that makes a lot of sense and here again i think it's so critically important that we understand that whether our message is right or not which i believe it's right i believe we have the right message but we cannot share it in an arrogant way. We cannot say, we're right, you're wrong, and you're an idiot if you don't agree with us. Right. And too many libertarians want to, to, you know, they just can't help but putting that last part on there. Right. And I think that is where we really have to focus. Absolutely. is the idea that here again, we have to be welcoming. And you may not, you know, you may talk to somebody who's, let's say they're 40% libertarian in what they think and what they understand. I want them to join us because they'll become more libertarian as they're exposed to the concepts in a welcoming way. Whereas if we look at somebody and go, yeah, well, you're 60% statist. Right. We don't want you. Right. Well, you know what? There's one less vote you're going to get. Exactly. Somebody's going to get that vote and you just lost it. Right. Because instead of saying, you know, instead of finding where we agree and where we can work together, 
we want to focus on where we are different. Yep. And I think that's a horrible mistake. Yeah. Because here again, we're on the outside looking in. And we need to be able to get inside to fix what's wrong. And it doesn't matter whether you are, um, I always call myself a pragmatic or practical libertarian. I feel like uh, they eroded our rights over a period of 240 years. Anybody who thinks that we can fix that in 24 hours is probably a lot smarter than me. I don't think it's going to work that way. Right. But I do believe that if I'm more free tomorrow than I was yesterday, then today was a success. And if I can whittle away the same way they have, you know, they've whittled away at our rights and built this uh, imperial palace of government. And if I whittle away at that imperial palace, eventually we can get our rights back. Yeah. And we can get government back into the means that it, it may take another 240 years. But if I'm not willing to do the chipping, it's never going to happen. And if I sit there and chip away, maybe somebody else looks at me and goes, hey, let me help you. And they come over and they help chip away. And before you know it, you've got a bunch of people chipping away. And we get somewhere. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's what Liberty is Essential is about. And, and that's why I do. And of course, um, you know, your listeners, uh, viewers can... Uh, Go to libertyisessential.com and look at our website. Uh, we're looking now at uh, possibly building our own, um, what I would call social media platform, um, where we can, you know, if you join the NRA, um, they have their special content just for members. We're, we're kind of looking at doing the same type of thing where people who are uh, recurring monthly donors or, or you know, subscribers um, will have a, a, a social media platform where they can interact oh, that's uh, great. safely uh, and uh, without the... Uh, and, and, you know, some people might call it a, you know, uh, oh, what is that the, the term they like to use? I, I want to say wind tunnel, but it's, you know, where, where all you hear oh, echo is chamber. echo chamber. Thank you. Um, but I know libertarians and, and uh, uh, people of uh, conservative viewpoint or libertarian minded viewpoint, however you want to phrase it um there's enough difference among all of us in in different areas that there's no echo chamber oh, yeah um you know that's the, one the, thing the whole joke is you get three libertarians in a room and you'll have four opinions absolutely absolutely and, and i think that that i think that's true but i think that and here again i don't want to use the term safe space so i'm gonna kind of uh, try to coin something new and say that, 
you know, having a space where we don't hurt anybody by talking about what we want to talk about, because so many people are offended by your opinion these days, unfortunately. Um, but, but I think that we need that kind of, you know, where we can go and we can say, let's talk about what's important to us. Let's formulate some plans on specific, uh, whether it be specific uh, legislation or uh, candidates that we want to support or candidates that we want to oppose and we need to find somebody that we can run against them. Um, and are you looking, are you looking for this? Are you looking for people outside of Indiana or will this be Indiana focused? Oh, this is, this is going to be focused in Indiana. Okay. This is a, the, our, our political action committee is an Indiana organization uh, and it's focused on Indiana um, government, uh, local, county, state. Um, and so that's where, again, that's where my passion is. That's where my focus is. Um, and so that's what we're going to be working on. And of course, you know, there are a lot of folks who are going to have opinions about, you know, things going on uh, federally, and there will be opportunities for them to interact about that. But I'm probably going to stay out of a lot of that just because here again i want to focus on fixing the state of indiana sure. first and sure. that's a pretty big elephant to have on your plate yeah are you no pun intended <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is an elephant here that's true are are you familiar at all with the the libertarian party mises caucus have you heard of them because I sure sure i've heard of them okay have Absolutely. you worked with them at all because I, I think their message is very much aligned with yours I, I am a member uh, of the Pragmatic Caucus. Okay. Uh, I haven't really reached out to, that, to, to any of the other caucuses. Here again, I'm um, really kind of focused on the state party. You know, right now we are in a, a tremendous growth opportunity here in Indiana. Uh, I believe when on election day in November, we had about 25 active county affiliates. We've added since then 19 more. Uh, we've got, I believe, 10 or, or 12 more that are getting ready to come on board. Uh, and our goal is by the end of 2020, or 2021, pardon me, is to have an active engaged county affiliate in all 92 counties in the state of Indiana. Because if we can do that, and if we can then, uh, we're also working with the state party to help identify, um, I believe there are 138 total um, ballot positions in 2022 between your 100 state representatives, 25 state senators that are up for re-election in 2022. Um, you've got some local offices, then you've got Secretary of State, which is very important because that's your ballot access race. Um, auditor, treasurer, um, 
I think there's 138 of those. So we're trying to recruit and train uh, 138 candidates for 2022. Uh, and we're also looking forward to all of the municipal and county races in 2023. Um, so there's a lot to do here locally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Give your website one more time. It is libertyisessential.com. And I'll make sure I'll link to that in the show notes. Donald Rainwater, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Best of luck. Let me oh, know if there's anything you. I can do to help going forward. Absolutely. I appreciate the time, Eric.